Welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We're so grateful, as always, that you've joined us today. And, um, you know, we, we love these conversations that we get to have. And today's guest is a, is a woman who has had such incredible experience professionally as well as personally. And her values in so many ways, particularly in, in coming to service and empowering people who maybe traditionally haven't been empowered, um, is that they're really important values and they align so much with ours. So uh, we hope that uh, you will find this conversation to be, to be one that's enlightening, one that is inspiring, and, and one that shows uh, the world uh, what, it, what it means to, to serve and to serve well and to make a true difference uh, in this world. So I'd like to tell you a little bit about our guest today is Janet Donovan the President and Chief Executive Officer of Girl Scouts in the heart of Pennsylvania, located in the capital region of the state, Harrisburg. Janet is also a retired United States Navy two-star Rear Admiral and former Deputy Commander in the Office of the Judge Advocate General, JAG, of the Navy with more than 20 years of executive experience in strategy development, talent management, and collaboration. She has professional development and executive experience in strategic planning, strategic communication and innovation, coalition building, finance and accounting, cybersecurity, risk management, and ethics. Janet received her law degree from Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio, and Bachelor of Arts in Spanish from the College of Worcester in Worcester, Ohio. She has seen firsthand the character building impact that Girl Scouts can make in the lives of young women and believes Girl Scouting provides a distinctive experience to prepare our next generation of confident and capable leaders. Janet, it's great to have you with us on the Someone to Tell It To podcast today. We're so grateful that you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So we're just going to start with asking the question we love to ask all of our guests when we start out. Just tell us about yourself. Thank you. Anything you'd like. Thank you. I, I thought about, of course, there's a standard introduction that people give, which is, revolves around bio. And I thought because this is, you know, the place and the theme here that it really would be important to talk about the roles that I play mm -hmm. and the labels that go with those. And then... Um, a little bit about how I came to those roles. So um, I'm a volunteer and I'm a public speaker and I'm an author and I'm a mother and a grandmother and a wife and I'm an attorney and I am one who comes from a, a really large, loud family. Uh, <laughs> if you go back to uh, right now out in theaters, of course, is Big Fat Creek Wedding number serial next yeah. in order, but the original movie uh, if anyone has seen that, is about um, a couple that comes together and one family is very small and quiet and listens and the other family is big and loud. My family is the big and loud. So I have 31 first cousins um, and no one stops and listens to anyone. We're all talking <laughs> over one another and there's 12 conversations going on that we all seem to be able to simultaneously participate in. My husband is actually from the other side of that movie. Um, he has one brother, one sister and one cousin. And the first time that I went there and they all sat around the table and we sat there for the whole evening and everyone just 
um, paused and waited for the next person to finish their thought. And it was such a foreign territory for me. (laughs) Um, But I think one that was very valuable. uh, And my mother and father-in-law of blessed memory were amazing mentors to me in that role of what it means to listen. And especially as I became a young mother. So um, that's a little bit about me. One question, a little follow-up here. Thank for anyone who's seen that movie, especially the original yes. movie. How many of your cousins were named Nick? <laughs> <laughs> Not Nick, but it's funny because we do have some names that repeat. So, um, and, and I do remember at one point when there was not a name that had been in our family for a long time that my grandmother commented on, commented on that. Where does that name even come from? Um, so yes, how many of our cousins named Nick? Not all of them, but there's a lot of Davids and Michaels and yes, (laughs) repeats. Well, I'm happy with that. My, my, obviously my name is Michael. My middle name is David. So, uh, so it's perfect. Perfect. (laughs) So for all of our listeners, we actually got to see Janet last night at a big celebratory event. And we'd just love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about what transpired last night, because we know that's a big monumental moment for you. It is. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming last night. Uh, Uh, We had our ribbon cutting on our new corporate headquarters, which is now in Hampton Township in Cumberland County. And we moved from a headquarters that we had had uh, in Harrisburg for more than 50 years. And of course, uh, we've been in Girl Scouts, there's Girl Scouting for more than 111 years right now. We were more than 50 years in that building. And before that, we were in a building called the Carriage House um, for more than 50 years there. I was envisioning, what does the next 50 years of Girl Scouting look like? And it was time for us to move from that headquarters to, which was predominantly for staff, um, to a headquarters that is really going to encompass our whole council, which is 30, 30 counties, uh, and to make it a place that's not just for staff, but for volunteers and for girls and to build programming around it. And so we've been a long time um, planning and uh, doing renovations to a beautiful building that is now off Trindle Road. So thank you for coming and to everyone mm-hmm. who may be listening, uh, who was also able to attend that event. We're really looking forward to serving girls in our community. So one of my favorite parts of the evening last night, uh, besides just celebrating along with you, was just connecting with people and learning a little bit more mm-hmm. about the his, the history behind Girl Scouts. And I, I know one of my favorite questions that was asked a lot is, what do the, all the badges mean? Sure. Yeah. So I think um, Girl Scouting, I mean, I was a Girl Scout and badges are about building some particular skill that you're trying to accomplish that's a hard skill, let's say. Um, But really what our outcomes are about are about the soft skills that go behind that because the mission of Girl Scouts is to build girls of courage, confidence, and character who make the world a better place. And so every one of those badges that girls earn are about trying to work on their confidence, work on their um, work on their character, work on all the kinds of things, the competence pieces. And actually, in my opinion, competence builds confidence. So we have five specific outcomes that we're looking for in each of those. We want girls to have an increased sense of self. We want them to understand and execute and live the values of the Girl Scout Promise and Law. We want them to be... Um, to understand what healthy relationships look like and to be able to walk walk away from toxicity um, and to build healthy relationships in their lives. We want them to be um, community problem solvers, uh, and some of the badges are directed toward that community relations piece. And 
We also want them to be challenge-seeking, and challenge-seeking even in the face of failure. And I think for young girls especially, they feel this pressure to be perfect. And so um, to understand that you can try something and know that you might be successful or you might not be successful, but in the trying, there is success. And so those are the outcomes that we're looking for, and we use badges as a way to get there. Um, and so that's part of the Girl Scout journey and has been since the very beginning of Julia Gordon-Lowe's um, envisioning Girl Scouts back in 1912. Were you a Girl Scout? I was. When, when you were young? I yes. was. Um, I was a Girl Scout and my mother was the cookie mom. Uh, she actually, um, my mother has Fibber McGee's closet. Uh, if you're familiar with that term, the closet that sort of opens up and it's from a, a radio show back in the 30s. And you can hear everything falling out of the closet. So <laughs> anything that is from my childhood, I know is in that attic. Um, but she found some Girl Scout calendars when Girl Scouts used to sell calendars from my childhood. So from um, the 60s and 70s, and she was handing them to me, which actually the cover of one of those Girl Scout calendars um, that year was a Girl Scout who was from the Scranton Pocono Council, which is now, of course, part of my council. Mm -hmm. So how about that for full, for full circle? Yeah. And uh, our daughters are all, were also all Girl Scouts. Uh, I did, of course, a career in the military. And our oldest daughter joined Girl Scouts when we were stationed in South Korea. So wow. they, um, we knew, my husband and I, that as we were moving around, and this is our 11th move coming to Central mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, um, that our girls would be in many different locations. And we also knew that that experience would be um, somewhat uniform so they could come to a new place and feel like they had a place to grow and thrive. And um, they stayed through various different levels, um, but they definitely had good positive Girl Scout experiences throughout that. Um, but as I talked to, um, you know, right now there's more than 10 million girls across the world who are in Girl Scouts and Girl Guides. Um, and... There's 50 million adult women in America who were Girl Scouts at some point, at some level. Oh, incredible. Um, so it's just such a universal, um, universal American theme also for adult women. And so I encourage them to talk about that, regardless of what level they went through. They might have only been in for a year. They might have been in for two or three years. Um, but that is a, makes them a Girl Scout alumna. <laughs> That's wonderful. I have... Uh Two of my young granddaughters I are know. are Girl Scouts brownies. It's, it's, yes. At this point, their mother is is a, is a leader awesome. uh, with them, and so they they really seem to enjoy it. And um, I'm proud of them for that. And for, for I think we're proud of any organization that helps young women, girls, and young women mm -hmm. to be to have courage, to have confidence, to have character. Um, because we, 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 you know, we know the history that it's not always been gentle with, been with, gentle. Uh, with, with females. And we, we, we love organizations that help to empower and to give confidence. Well, let me just give ability. a shout out to, um, to you and the values that you have brought um, to include, obviously, volunteerism in your family. There's no Girl Scouting without volunteers. Yeah. We have thousands of volunteers across our, um, our 30 counties, but we, the majority, the vast majority of girls um, have a Girl Scout experience through troops. We have other models, so we do an academic edge program, which is a staff-led program in our 50% um, free and reduced lunch schools. Uh, where maybe that seed hasn't planted yet. 
Um, the, but the idea that we can give a Girl Scouting experience through staff is good. But the vast majority of girls get their um, get the Girl Scout experience through troop leaders. And so that volunteer component is so critical. So thank mm-hmm. you um, mm-hmm. for instilling that um, spirit of volunteerism in your family. Jenna, we'd love to do a little bit deeper dive uh, about your extensive and impressive career. You've kind of mentioned it, but we are impressed with your leadership abilities and your experience. And what has that experience taught you about people, our needs, our struggles, our strengths? And I think it's it's just such a great question. Um, you know, the people piece of it is universal, right? And I think that's something that that you realize through what your your work is here. And I will say um, that I came to you uh, through a mutual friend who mm-hmm. had um, had such a positive experience uh, with someone to tell it to. And frankly, I hadn't heard of your organization. She reached out to me and said, I just want to tell you about a fabulous organization that's out here. And since then, I have referred others um, who might need uh, someone to tell it to. Mm. And it's been a great thing. And I think especially um, we all have struggles, um, some more seen than unseen. And being heard is such a universal need for everyone uh, that um, I'm, I'm really very thankful that organizations like yours exist. And especially, I will say, coming from a military background, um, the military... Um, has had in the past a culture of um, unwillingness to seek um, help, especially um, clinical help, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the security clearances that are required and and other reasons. Um, and so there still is a tale that comes to that culture. Um, we're shaking free of that a little bit. Um, but for those who... Um, want to really talk to someone, but they fear um, going to someone who might have a therapist title um, because of what the consequences might be for them. And even though they understand mm-hmm. those consequences are not, uh, don't exist right now, they worry about whether sometime in the future that will come back to haunt them. So other organizations and nonprofits across the United States that do the, this kind of work are so invaluable as resources to them. So thank you for that work. Hmm. Thank you. We'd love to learn just a little bit more about your military career and your background there, Um, especially in a field where, again, as Michael mentioned earlier, women are just probably not as highlighted as much as they should be. And we just would love to learn a little bit more about what your experience was like. Sure. I will start by saying um, there were not many women when I was coming up through the ranks. Um, my stat that, um, I often use is at one point as a junior officer, a young, um, attorney, I was the only female officer in 46,000 sailors. Mm. And what I can say about that was there weren't, um, many women, but I had so many male allies in that, um, in that space. And so it was really overall a very positive experience. Um, I can also say, and obviously wouldn't have stayed if it hadn't been, Um, but I will say that there is space there, um, for people to find their own path and it does take, uh, courage and confidence for anyone to do that. And it's, that's not gender specific. Um, so I, I'm just proud of what I was able to accomplish, but what it has led me to is sort of my own philosophy about, 
um, about leadership really, which is leaning in, leading up, and throwing a ladder down. And for me, the throwing a ladder down is what I'm doing now in Girl Scouts. So obviously, after 31 years in the military, I could have just retired, retired. Um, but it's so important for me to, as a personal um, journey to make sure that I'm elevating this next generation of girls and empowering them to be the best that they can be. Could you explain those three principles? I was going to yeah. ask the same thing. Yeah. So perfect. So leaning in really is about um, understanding and um, owning your role in an organization and really getting um, getting smart on the details. So knowing your people, knowing your stuff, I guess is what it boils down to. Um, you've got to become the subject matter expert and you have to be really good at what you do. Um, and that will lead to mentorship opportunities for you. And it will also lead to sponsorship opportunities for you because I think there's a lot of talk about um, being sponsored um, as a term of art, meaning that other people will talk positively about you. And it starts, though, with subject matter expertise, because no one is going to advocate for you and put their, um, their professional reputation on the line for you in a closed-door discussion in which you are not there unless they are absolutely 100% confident that you are a subject matter expert and you, you have integrity and professional expertise. So that's the lean-in piece. Um, leading up is that in any organization, wherever you are, I think sometimes there is a hesitancy to um, make suggestions and to um, talk to your bosses and to give, um, you know, to talk, uh, I guess, leading up meaning to those who are your supervisors. And there's so much of this waiting that's happening. And actually, um, what I try and tell women is that um, you know, when they haven't answered you, it's not because they hate you. It's not because they are ignoring you. It's because they're very busy people. So there are tactics that you can use um, to elevate those discussions, to bring it back up to the top of the um, inbox for them. So how do you lead up and give those, um, give those uh, examples and make sure that you are not progressing? And I found this very, I didn't really realize the difference between how men engage with leadership and how women engage with leadership until I became an admiral. And I had 31 different commanding officers who I, I basically, they reported to me. And I watched that the men engaged with me very differently than the women did. Um, so two things came out of that for me. One was I had to be much more structured in the way that I offered opportunities to talk to me because when I talked to the women, they all had great things to say, but they were waiting to be asked. Um, and the men would routinely pop in with an email or a conversation um, to just say, hey, you know, Admiral, let me just tell you about so-and-so who just did this great thing. Or Admiral, you know, let me know, let me know what I can do about this. Or Admiral just had this thought. Um, and they routinely did that to highlight people who worked for them, to highlight accomplishments of their unit. Um, and women did not do that. And so when I'm talking to business women, I talk about the importance of leading up in that way, both for themselves and for the people who work for them. And then, of course, throw a ladder down is all about mentoring and sponsoring um, other people, regardless of whether or not um, they're, they're men or women. But, um, you know, the mentoring piece is um, starting with someone wherever they are. And the sponsorship piece is where you have to be at, have your A game and be ready to go. Let me add another L word. 
to to this. Uh, It's it's listening. We have to ask that. Um, And how does listening impact each of those other three? Absolutely. Uh, And how did how did you how did you practice listening? How were you listened to well? And how did and we can only imagine you do listen well. How do you do that? Yeah, I think the listening piece is so critical. And so I'm going to tell a a little bit of a story about um, listening and the lack of listening. Um, When I was a young um, attorney in the military, uh, there was a very tragic uh, case of a commanding officer of a ship. His name was Captain Balian, and the ship was the USS Dubuque. And he ended up, um, they were on their way in the Pacific, and there are international laws of the sea that require if there's a stranded vessel, um, regardless of what is going on in the middle, that you stop and you um, offer assistance, humanitarian assistance. And this particular commanding officer felt he was on his way to a great mission. And he already had done humanitarian assistance and so in his mind I believe had sort of checked that block so he did stop as was required but he gave the minimum amount of support to this stranded raft basically in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and um, terrible things ended up happening as he left them he provided water and some meals and they were literally on a raft with a sheet Um, and the deaths and tragic things that happened after they left. And the crew members were so upset. And his executive officer, the number two, was trying to tell him, look, we cannot take these people. We, we can't leave them here. We need to bring them on board, and then we have to divert our ship to the next possible port and get the medical assistance. But he was just not listening. Mm. And so he left them and ultimately then went to court-martial for this. And I was um, on the staff Uh, listening to this, and we had a four-star admiral who came to testify at that court-martial, and he said, you know, there are three ways in which commanding officers um, really can get themselves into trouble, and one is by um, doing things they're not supposed to do, one is by not doing things they're supposed to do, and the third, but the most important, is by creating an atmosphere in which people are afraid to tell them things that they need to hear, and that was such an impactful Um, leadership lesson for me. You must actively encourage people. And so um, in every staff situation that I've been, I talk about sausage making moments. And if any of my staff hear this, they will, um, (laughs) they'll cringe because I talk about it so often. But there are sausage making moments when we're really discussing, you know, what's the next thing that we are going to do? And everyone's voice needs to be heard. And there is a point then in which the leader, whether or not it's at a manager level or department head level or the CEO or a board chair, there is a a moment in time where decision must be made and that discussion is no longer a discussion. We're moving forward and everyone needs to be rowing in the same direction. But those sausage-making moments are times when we as leaders must say, speak up. Let's not have the meeting after the meeting. Speak up. Now is the moment Hmm. Um, when you have input into this. And as leaders, we must be very intentional about calling out those moments. Um, one way in which I tried to do that on my staff is by having skip meetings also with my um, staff. So I'm not talking to, their, to my direct reports, but I'm talking to their direct reports. And I'm asking them things like, so what is it that you 
think I don't know that I need to know. Um, What would you do if you were the CEO for a day? Those kinds of questions. (laughs) And I give them those questions in advance so that they can think about them. Um, When I first came to Girl Scouts, I interviewed every staff member. There were about 60 of them at the time. Um, And I asked them four questions. Why did you come? Why do you stay? Which go to our recruiting and retention. of, um, And what are you afraid I will do? And what do you hope I will do? And those questions go to what everyone was talking about. I said, just tell me. And I hope that those were powerful conversations for them. What kind of things did you hear? Yeah, um, I heard things about, um, there was a wide range, but there were definitely some themes. Um, And one of the themes was, uh, you know, for stability. There'd been a lot of change, um, and they were looking for someone to come in and sort of steady the ship, if you will. So Girl Scouts of America founder Juliet Gordon-Lowe stated, the work of today is the history of tomorrow, and we are its makers. So could you just tell us a little bit more about your, about her vision and how do you try to live out her vision? I love talking about Julia Gordon-Lowe. When I think about the vision of a woman who was, um, who believed in that time that every girl needed to learn to be self-sufficient and at a time in the deep South before women even had the right to vote, and that she believed in that so uniformly that it applied to all girls, regardless of race or Mm -hmm. socioeconomic status. It's just unbelievable how how that trajectory was going to change the course for young girls across the world, and certainly here in the United States. So she started with um, you know, just a small group of girls in Savannah, Georgia, and it, and it took off. Uh, and she saw that the outdoors was a way really to empower. And I agree with that. Um, you know, the outdoors is one of the four pillars of the Girl Scout leadership experience. The others being um, life skills, entrepreneurship, and STEM. So um, as we look at those four things, Um, Those are the ways in which girls can learn to become self-sufficient today. And that's the beauty of her vision was that at that time it was through um, a different avenue. But the idea of self-sufficiency allows us to really adapt that to today. So certainly she wouldn't have been thinking about STEM careers for girls um, in that era at the beginning of the 1900s. Um, But today that's so relevant Um, And so this vision that has been um, flexible enough and uh, allows us to continue to be timely and to see and meet girls where they are today um, is what's so fabulous about it. And I think we are doing that for today's girls um, and we're expanding into some other areas, um, one of which, of course, will relate directly to your mission and that is the area of mental health for girls. We mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Um, what COVID has done for, um, for youth generally, for all of us. Um, but how do we get the um, discussion about mental health and mental health challenges? And so Girl Scouts is moving in that direction as well. Um, it's core to us to understand what healthy relationships look like, but also to understand what that looks like for yourself. Um, and so... 
that vision is amazing, and I see it lasting um, another hundred years. What have you learned about Juliet Gordon Lowe's upbringing? Have you ever heard much of her own story and how she came to this vision? Because as founders ourselves, we're always just curious, you know, where did that come from? And she definitely spent some time in England um, and so learned about the mission of the, of the Boy Scouts uh, and what they, were able to, what they were able to do. But um, I would say that her vision really to be able to stand up a completely separate organization that was girl-specific, um, I think she saw that as a big gap. Mm. Um, and of course, in that arena, I would hate to be speaking for Juliet. Um, but <laughs> she, she really just saw a very separate need for girls. And of course we still are more than 110 years later and separate organization and one that is very dedicated to a girl only space. Um, girls spend 99% of their time with boys. What we know from the Girl Scout, Re Girl Scout Research Institute, and we're the only youth development organization that has its own research institute. And so we do a lot of looking at the girl-only space. And what we know is that um, girls can um, really flourish in that space where they don't have a distraction. Um, and we also know that by history, um, there have been so few leadership opportunities for girls that they see in their minds still that maybe there's only one spot for a girl on this team or on this board of directors or whatever. And so they're more likely to compete with one another in that, um, in that gen mixed gender environment than when they're in a girl only environment. <laughs> and so we want to give them a place to not have competition, but to have collaboration and to grow and flourish from that. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. What kind of challenges do you see that still exist to the mission that was originally you know, started and created to being, to being fulfilled? I mean, do sure. you know what? Certainly, there are always challenges in, in, in everything we do. Um, so what, what are some of those for, the, for this mission? I think our challenge, um, our challenge right now is probably um, volunteerism. So there has been a decline of volunteerism. Mm -hmm. So if you think back to the, um, even you know, to my own childhood, where the majority of women were still stay-at-home moms, um, my mom was not a stay-at-home mom. She worked um, in my dad's law firm from the time that my sister was five. Uh, and she worked not full-time, but pretty much. Um, and it was my dad's firm, and so they were small, um, small business owners. Uh, but I think that volunteerism then was more prevalent. Mm -hmm. And so how do we 
make Girl Scouting something that is um, volunteer friendly or friendlier. We try to do that, but making sure that they have exactly the right amount of training when they need it and that we can really put the word out that um, we need volunteers in every possible um, in every possible way. So if there's an hour of your time, it's an hour of, of your time that Girl Scouts can make use of, whether or not you're a subject matter expert and you're passionate about backpacking and you would love to take a girl on a backpack trip, um, or you're passionate about archery and you would love to teach an archery class, or you're a subject matter expert and you would like to present on that in one badge to one troop, or you want to be a troop leader because you want to engage with girls and it doesn't mean that you have to be a mom of um, you know, of a girl who's a Girl Scout. Um, certainly that is a lot of what we have for volunteers, but we have volunteers who are um, grandmothers or aunts or college students um, who say, I would really love this leadership opportunity or teachers or um, subject matter experts of people who are just passionate. And so how do we encourage that even corporate volunteerism to come out and say, um, yes, we would love to um, have a corporate team building because we see workforce development as an area where we need to build female, um, female leaders in whatever that male-dominated field might be. Um, so there's an entire um, range there that we're exploring about how do we challenge the way that we engage with volunteers and make it um, a truly positive experience for that. I think we do a great job right now, but there's always room for growth. Can I ask a follow-up question to that? So we're founders of Someone to Tell To. We started the organization 12 years ago, and now 12 years in, we're finding that our role has evolved significantly. Now we're the co-CEOs, and we find that one of our number one jobs is to make sure that we stay true to our values as an organization. In fact, our newest book that we handed to you uh, just a few minutes before we went live yeah, today, we Ascending to First Chair, is all about staying true to our values as individuals and as uh, an organization. And so over time, have you had to have moments where you've had to kind of fight for your values? And how have you done that? I think um, that's a great question. I I don't feel like I've had to fight for my values because I think that um, people who come to either volunteer with Girl Scouts or um, or work for Girl Scouts um, understand it's very clear what our mission is. And I will say that for staff, um, definitely as part of that interview process, we really talk about what the values are to see whether or not that's a match. Um, and... So I don't feel like I've had to fight for my values. Um, where the challenge comes is making time and prioritizing um, the values over. We can all, as a leader, we can all get bogged down with the minutia. So um, one of the things that's really important is to make sure that um, every staff member has an opportunity to engage with volunteers and girls over the course of their experience here. So getting people out to camp, um, giving them an opportunity, regardless of what, um, what uh, department they work in. So, um, and during cookie season, we definitely do that. So um, cookie, uh, as we're distributing, you know, up to two million, two million packages of cookies, <laughs> um, and our volunteers are doing a lot of that distribution, but we do have 
um, a week that's called Mega Drop and one day in particular in which we're getting, it's a logistics beauty um, <laughs> in which we're getting um, cars and truckloads full of cookies um, delivered out to troop leaders and to volunteers. And every staff member participates in that. So even if you're in the finance department um, or if you're, and it's a way for them to really see, wow, this is the way that um, Girl Scouts is happening out in the field. Um, and this is the way that volunteers and girls engage and to be able to talk to them. And it's such a refreshing thing. I love getting out there and, and being with girls and being with, um, with volunteers, although not, not much of my time um, is as much of my time as I would like is devoted to that. One of my other favorite points of the conversation last night was just this ongoing conversation around what's our, our favorite cookie. There, there are several people that I had, had to weigh Simmons. in last night. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you stole my next question, actually. <laughs> so what's the verdict? What is it? You're right. Yeah, exactly. Nationally, it's by a mile. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I'm not surprised and, by that. And there's always, uh, there's always favorites that are bygone favorites. So I'm out there. I know my daughter, um, who is working out in Colorado, uh, I, I have paid and sent her cookies um, to give out to um, the staff that she works with. And people will come up to her and say, your mom's a CEO. She needs to bring back fill in the blank cookie, right? <laughs> that was a cookie once upon a time and is no longer. Um, and we have nostalgia for our favorite childhood cookie that might not be on the market any longer. But I think Thin Mints will be here to stay forever. Hmm. How did that this now tradition gets started. What, who, where did, where was the nucleus of sure. saying cookies are going to be our thing? And, I have and some, um, I actually have some historical, which will come to our museum, historical newspaper, um, articles about when Girl Scouts, when girls actually baked their own cookies to sell. And eventually then that morphed into today's cookie, um, which of course is, a um, one of the, it is the largest, um, girl entrepreneurship program in the world. And, and we have very mm. specific outcomes that we're looking for in that entrepreneurial journey. What, we, what our research institute has told us is that young girls think that they can own their own women-owned businesses when they grow up. But somewhere along the line, mm. um, they come to believe that um, women-owned businesses won't necessarily be well-supported. And so what the research tells us is that the only thing that changes that perception is continued exposure to entrepreneurial activity. And that's what the cookie program does, is that continued exposure to entrepreneurial activity. And the badges that we have are um, all about the cookie program, as opposed to the cookie sale, the cookie program, which is about determining all these things. It's developing financial literacy. It's understanding the marketing piece of it. And we have girls um, you know, who are five and six years old. They're trying to figure out what are they going to do with their proceeds from the cookie sale? trying to set some goals, trying to decide, um, you know, hey, what could we do? And it offers great opportunities for them. I'll share um, a brief, uh, I have two favorite stories about Cookie um, and young girls um, deciding what it is that their troop wants to do with their cookies. And so if you're out there buying cookies from girls, you can ask them that. So what are you going to do with your troop proceeds? And hopefully those troops have discussed that. We had a kindergarten troop in one of our rural areas and her troop leader was trying to, you know, engage them and say, okay, girls, like, so we're going to sell our cookies. What should we do? Well, the girl said, we're going to go to Paris. We want to go to Paris. 
Why not? <laughs> Little five-year-olds, right? And she said, well, all right then. Um, and really then led them through this whole discussion of, okay, so if we wanted to go to Paris, what, what would we have to have? We'd have to go on a plane. So we'd have to have a plane ticket. And we'd have to have a passport. And where, where would we stay? Well, we'd have to have a hotel. And then trying to get them to think about, well, what would that cost? And how many boxes of cookies would we have to sell, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so to walk through those incremental parts and at, by the end, the girl said, okay, we're not going to Paris, right? <laughs> but I sometimes when I'm talking to business leaders, I, I, I say, so how many times have you had a staff member um, who can't break, da- break that down into the incremental parts of how are we going to get here? We have this great vision. We're going to go to Paris, but they haven't broken it down to this is what we need to be able to do that. I said, we're doing that with five-year-olds. Um, and so that's the beauty of the cookie program. Let the little children lead them, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and my, my second story is um, the power of cookie. And this is a rural troop also. Uh, and they lived in a small town that did not have any commercial buildings that were more than two stories. So they'd never seen an escalator in person, mm-hmm. only on TV. And with their troop money... They went to Washington, D.C. And if anyone has been to Washington, D.C. Um, and been on the metro, there are metro stops um, in Washington, D.C. where you are coming on a multi-story escalator mm-hmm. out of the bowels of the metro system. And those girls riding that metro and the troop leader said their eyes were opened in a way that will never be closed again. And that doesn't mean they're leaving their rural community, but what it does mean is that they're coming back with a different perspective about all the opportunities that are out there for them and whether or not they want to build on those opportunities in their own hometown or whether or not they want to fly somewhere else with those opportunities. That's the power of cookie. That's powerful. I love that imagery too. We, as a family, we started this practice. I started it a couple years ago as, as a father, I have four, four kids and uh, every time one of our kids turns 10, I take them on a 10 year old adventure of their choosing within reason based on our financial state <laughs> and uh, our twin, we have twins, the, the youngest. And uh, this past year they wanted to go to Washington DC. So I took them by myself to Washington DC and I will never forget the images of them coming out of the subway system, like yes. up those escalators, which are very long. Uh, I grew up outside New York city and I just, I had never experienced anything like that either. And so um, it's pretty remarkable to seeing their eyes. And, and yeah, I think just from a larger standpoint of having this larger vision of what their lives can look like, you know. And the power of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, so thank you for doing that <laughs> with your children. Um, I did something similar with each of our daughters when they turned 13. They got to choose a friend and then we invited the friend's mother and the four of us went on a trip same thing and 13 and it came to me when um a neighbor of ours had uh this same vision when her daughter turned 16 and they were going to take they were had the financial means to take them to london and the daughters both said yeah we're not interested they had summer jobs they had boyfriends they had and so i learned 16's too late um so starting at 10 i chose 13 but starting uh-huh. at 10 um they get the travel bug mm. and they realize that there's a life outside of the cocoon in which we all live wherever we live. Um, and you lived in a large city, but Washington DC is different than New York. So, 
Um, and we are trying to do that with girls now. This past year, um, we took two buses um, on a trip to Belize um, with girls. Wow. And uh, next year, we're going to take girls to London and Paris. And soon we'll be announcing um, our trip for 2025. Um, we've already planned, and it will be another adventure location. Um, so trying to alternate a European-centric location, which is more culture and art and history, with an adventure location like Belize, where they did uh, zip lining and ate termites and all kinds of things. I did not go, nor did I eat termites, but there were staff who definitely did, and volunteers, of course, who came along as well. Um, but the idea that there are other cultures um, and that uh, it's not actually uh, an American-centric world, um, and we need to learn and participate in that uh, is such an important um, evolution. And we have a travel continuum, and so girls can start, whether or not that's their first overnight at camp, um, moving up all the way to international travel. And so, yeah, so thank you for doing that. I think it's so important that all of us mm -hmm. um, learn to travel and to experience those other cultures and listen mm -hmm. um, to what it is that they have to say to us and to learn from. Absolutely. I was actually going to interject to ask if you had ever had the opportunity to go on some of these adventures. So I, um, I did not, nor do I, um, I think my presence in some way would be a dampening, <laughs> a dampening, uh, factor, but I will say, uh, my sister was also a Girl Scout and her troop leader, um, took them to, uh, on a trip to Austria, uh, when she was in middle school. Um, so this concept of international travel is um, is one that is throughout Girl Scouts. It's not original, uh, clearly, to our council. Um, and we have other locations um, that were founded during Juliet Gordon-Lowe's life, um, lifetime. Um, the Swiss Chalet uh, in Switzerland. Uh, we have a lot of these centers internationally, one in Mexico. Um, and so it's important, really, and those can be destinations for girls. We also offer a destination here. Um, this past year, we did it in Gettysburg. And that's where not the troop travels, but individual girls travel, um, and uh, which would be sort of the ultimate experience for them to be in high school and get on a train or a plane by yourself and to go meet other girls who are coming from around the nation. And we did that here with the destination. We call the destination Her Story, which was mm -hmm. uh, Lancaster, Gettysburg, Hershey kind of experience. And we brought girls from across the nation, and we will continue to do that um, as we're moving forward. So what a great opportunity for them to learn that independence of travel. Well, uh, you've talked a lot about your family today, and I, I know your husband is a significant part of your life as well. And uh, you've talked with us previously just about some of the other initiatives that you're both involved in, uh, particularly around listening. We'd love for you just to describe what some of those experiences have been and, and also just a little bit about him maybe as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, I married my best friend, uh, in law school and we've been married for 42 years. And I will say that that journey was significantly enhanced by learning, um, communication skills. And it is a skill, uh, that we aren't necessarily taught. Uh, and so one of the things that we have done for decades is to participate in an organization called Marriage Encounter. Um, and we are also both involved in the, an offshoot of that called marriage management. But Marriage Encounter is an interfaith uh, marriage enrichment course. And we initially went as 
um, just as a young couple. I remember him uh, signing up at his uh, at his church when he'd heard about it and said, um, you know, signing up but may back out um, was his stand. <laughs> uh, and when he had talked about it, I'd heard about it as well and said, hey, let's, I think we should do this. It would be a great opportunity. And the model there is that team couples get up in front of a room full of couples that they'd never met before and they talk about um, the struggles in a very structured way, the struggles of their own um, relationship and how they communicate and learn a skill on how to do this um, and to reflect back and to listen actively um, and to do it both in written form and in verbal form um, and to learn how to then um, enhance your relationship and to see that as this third entity um, and how if you're fighting, you really need to be fighting for your marriage, um, not for your, um, and I, I have to true confess, I'm all about being right. I like to be right. <laughs> Most of us um, do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so kind of giving up on that. Um, but really this idea that listening has to be central to any relationship. And so we became team uh, and we did that for years and years. Um, I think we started when our, um, when our middle daughter was uh, 18 months and she's now 30. Um, and so it's, it's really a core piece of how our relationship has um, maintained in such a positive way. And we now are on the board of advisors for an organization that does that for the veterans community because they, this organization recognizes that one of the casualties of war is marriage hmm. uh, because of the difficulties of the subject hmm. matter of the hmm. returning veteran and the difficulties of the subject matter of the non-veteran spouse who may have been shouldering a lot of burdens um, unknown to the veteran while they're caring for things on the home front. And how do you work through all of that? And listening is so key um, to making that successful. I'd love to ask just a, a really serious question and as someone to tell to you, we take very seriously our belief that every person has value mm -hmm. and gifts to offer and agency in this world. And we take special time to notice people, especially those who may not have been seen as having much value or as many gifts or someone with agency. And that's one reason why we value your work with the Girl Scouts. And uh, Michael, I know your sisters were Girl Scouts and now two of your young granddaughters, mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, are mm -hmm. also Girl Scouts. And I have three daughters and, um, you know, most of someone to tell to staff are women and we love that. Uh, we both are com committed to diversity, equity and inclusion and belonging personally and professionally. What do you see as the Girl Scouts' greatest strengths in developing young girls and women to be able to have full value and agency in this world? Yeah, I think, you know, the Girl Scout mission, as we've talked about, is, um, is, our, is our greatest strength. Um, and that idea that by the promise of Girl Scouts, really, that if girls participate in those four pillars of Girl Scout, the Girl Scout leadership experience of entrepreneurship, STEM, life skills, and outdoors, that they will have those five life-changing outcomes that I talked, talked about before. And we know this to be true. And we know it to be true because um, in 2020, the Research Institute did an alumna study. And they said, we've been promising this for a long time. So did it really happen? 
um, you know, the, for the 50 million women adult, you know, who who are out there as adults who were at some point Girl Scouts, um, did it really happen? And what kind of leadership positions and skills do they have, and are they showing? And and the research showed that it did, and it has, and it will. Um, and so when they compared the results of Girl Scouts to non-Girl Scouts, um, what they found was that girls who participated in Girl Scouts and are now women are more likely to be leaders in their organizations. They're more likely to be happy with their lives. They're more likely to vote. They're more likely to volunteer in their communities. They're more likely to have higher education. They're more likely to have um, higher income. All of these things that we measure, um, Girl Scouting participation um, contributes to that level of success in their lives. And so um, that is, once again, the power of Girl Scouts. And the longer girls stay in, the higher those, um, those outcomes are. But it doesn't take um, a lifetime of Girl Scouting in order to make that. So what we found was, most strikingly, it only takes one year of Girl Scouting to make it more likely that an adult woman will volunteer in her community than a non-Girl Scout. Hmm. And they don't say why that is. The Janet Donovan theory on that is because volunteering when you're, <laughs> when you're five or six years old is sticky. They remember going and singing in a nursing home. Um, I remember singing in a nursing home as a Girl Scout or, or feeding, um, feeding and serving um, our, our homeless in a, in a shelter, on a, in a soup kitchen. Um, you know, those acts of, of service, you remember that. And it strikes all those positive things in your brain that we all need and, and, and that come from volunteering, and we all want that. Um, and so we return to that as part of our ethos when we're adults. And we need that so much. And, of course, community problem solving is one of the outcomes that we're looking for. And girls do that all the way through their highest awards. We have so many girls and troops who are doing that at the elementary school level with bronze awards at the um, middle school level with silver awards and at the high school level with individual gold awards. And they are providing those community, um, community service hours and those sustainable outcomes that we all need and are looking for. Mm. I know that we probably need to close. Um, very, so I want to ask you one more question. Uh, throughout your career in the military, as a leader in Girl Scouts, and, and even personally, what brings you the most joy? What brings me the most joy? I think um, giving to other people brings me the most joy. I love, um, I love obviously spending time with my family. And I shouldn't say obviously because not everyone does. Um, <laughs> but I love spending time with my family um, and supporting them. And it's been a wonderful thing to watch our daughters become professionals in their own right. Um, I love mentoring and sponsoring um, women behind the scenes. Um, I love uh, giving back to the community and to see then those things flourish where I'm able to um, give just a little bit of myself and um, I hope that I bring that um, I hope that I bring that to others and um, I've been very, uh, blessed to have been able to participate with your organization and I'm thankful for the opportunity today to share this on your podcast. You're very welcome. 
It's been a joy to us. Yeah. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. we really appreciate you being here and for all that you've shared, for all that you've done and, and just for who you are and that, that the level of service uh, that, that's really important to you comes through very loudly and clearly. And uh, we, we respect that highly. We've entitled this episode, The Power of the Cookie, simply because of something that Janet said when, uh, when she was talking, as she gave the history and the reasons for um, the cookie sales that the Girl Scouts have. And we thought that was fascinating. The larger mission of the Girl Scouts is to foster courage, confidence, and character in the girls whom they serve. And we just think that is a tremendous, a tremendous mission and something that um, we believe is so needed and so important in the world. If I remember correctly, I think this month is Women in Business Month, uh, the month of October in 2023. And uh, I, I just especially appreciated about this conversation, just her desire to empower women. And she does it by modeling what good leadership looks like and entrepreneurship. Uh, I loved the stories that she told about these young girls who just had a much bigger and broader vision for their lives. The one girl, I think uh, the funny story about wanting to go to Paris right. by selling cookies. <laughs> and uh, we just love, love that mentality of you're never too old or too young to dream a new dream mm -hmm. and, uh, and to have a bigger vision for your life. So we just especially loved that about the conversation and, and we trust that you did as well. And I also just want to say about this that she said just, you know, starting with five-year-olds can begin to instill in them this, this sense of these three C's, for example, and, and as well as the power to dream and know that, that they, they do have the ability and we, and we hope the opportunities to do some of these things that, that do broaden their horizons and that, that open up the world to them in ways they never could have imagined. Yeah, so just thank you for being with us today. Thank you for being with us in every conversation. Um, we just love these dialogues. We find so much value in them. We refer to them all the time. We re-listen to our own conversations. And, um, you know, we just continue to want to help the world to listen. And so thanks for being with us in that mission together. So until we listen again. <laughs>